Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to the Step Back Sisterhood. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined by Janelle and Britt today. Unfortunately, Amber is not able to join us, so we are uh, really bummed that she's not here today, but we expect that she will be back next time and uh, we'll just have to get all her opinions and all her thoughts and uh, when we when we talk to her again. We're going to talk a little bit about how things are going in the league, what's been going on with the teams that we follow, and maybe do a little bit of our opinions on how things went for the trade deadline. So, Janelle, let's start by getting a little recap from you about what has been going on with the Golden State Warriors. Let's go with, like, since the from the uh, All-Star break through the trade deadline. What's, like, the main storylines and what's been happening? What's been happening is... We were expecting to have an active and aggressive trade deadline, you know, to try to get Steph help and all that. But what did we get? We got um, them shedding dead weight in Brad Wanamaker and Marquise Chris, which I, I, I would say this is what they were supposed to be doing to kind of free up roster space. But, you know, that's the least that they, they can do. And as far as on the court, well, it's almost like they've given up. And it's I'm getting a vibe to where a lot of the players have really is tuning out Steve Kerr. I, you know, I really believe that because, you know, they they go to places to where, you know, they're, they're active, they're trying, you know, in some games and then others. And especially recently, it's like a pattern. They've given up. You know, they're not developing um, Wiseman worth 15 cents. So, you know, it's just been trash. The front office has been trash. Coach Kerr's coaching has been trash. And it's just been a mess. Were they waiting for anything specific to happen at the trade deadline? Or is there anything that you were thinking might happen that didn't? I I wasn't really expecting them to get like a big name or, or any of that. But I was just expecting them to get a little bit of help offensively. But it, it didn't. I, I don't. They, I think they have punted on the season. I, I really believe that. And thinking that everything will be all in well when Clay comes back. And that's not really fair to Clay because he's coming from, you know, rupturing his Achilles and an ACL injury. And even if Clay was healthy, other teams have caught up to the Warriors. And the front office ain't the smartest guys in the room anymore. Actually, they're dumb as hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know if we would necessarily get into the trade talk quite yet, but who do you think would would have been a good player for the um, Warriors to add um, offensively? Anything, anything better than what they got, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, uh, maybe a backup point guard at least. You know, just fix the margins around the bench. The bench isn't really all that good. And, you know, it's great that they cut Wanamaker, which is what they should have done. But, you know, it's, it's not enough. They, now they've got two roster spots, and what they're going to do is 
Klopp, Mulder, and JTA in it, and JTA deserves it. Mulder, maybe, but you know, it's it's not a. We're waiting to see what they do over the summer, which I'm going to tell you right now, they ain't they ain't going to do nothing over the summer. All all the front office is doing is talking. Is there a possibility? Is there talk of them just shutting players down? And I don't want to say the T word, but uh... well, that, that's that's what that, that's that's what they're getting at right now. You know that um, Steph is supposed to be coming back sometime this week, but you better believe they're really milking that. Well, I wouldn't say really milking that entry, but you know they're not in a rush for him to come back. You know, uh, that's that's how I see it. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the standings now, and they're they're really not necessarily far behind, folks. They're two and a half games behind Dallas. So I, I guess it's sort of at a point now where they have to make a decision on if they exactly. want to Exactly. They don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Exactly. They don't know what they want to do. And you're right. They're, they're not that far behind. And for them to just try to give up like that is what's aggravating. And it's not really fair to the players out there, you know, especially like um Oubre. I, I'm sure you heard about what um he was asked. Um, For folks who haven't, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the reporters in the scrum recently Ask Kelly Oubre, would he be willing to come off the bench next year? He's like, no, you know, I'm more, you know, I could do a lot more than just to come off the bench. And, you know, you couldn't really blame him. And he is the, he is a player that just want to find a home and want to contribute any kind of way. Yeah, I would be insulted too. And now he's going to think about that. And really keep that in the back of his head um, when the off season comes, and he'll probably walk for nothing. Wow! So things are not golden in Golden State right now, <laughs> and haven't really and haven't really been that golden in a while. But you know, light years ahead, though. I mean, is there like no, like you know, Portland has had a number of years where things did not go as expected, but. We found like the little things to get behind and, you know, to somehow limp across the finish line feeling like we'd had a good season because of like whatever heroics Damian Lillard did or whatever. Or CJ. And that's the point. You guys are, are used to that. And you used guys, to mediocrity. I, I mean, think about it. I mean, you're used to doing more with less and with what happened last year. Dame has a, a supporting cast where there's continuity, and that's really been helping them a lot. You know, y'all know how to make do, and especially your GM is willing to, you know, improve the margins with the Gary Trent thing. You guys got Norman Powell back, so you wouldn't lose Trent for nothing. That's what I'm talking about. But the Warriors, just just sitting there. It's just fascinating to watch after so just, many just years of just saying, well, we don't want to. I mean, I, I get that their, their uh, trump cards as the mini pick and Wiseman. And I mean, I get not wanting to do that, you know, make those transactions for, 
you know, in haste. I, I get all that, but you you still have a chance this year. You still have a chance. I'm not saying they're going to win the chip and whoever thinks that they're winning a chip is a fool. What I'm saying is that you have to win as much as you can while you can. And if you make, make it in the postseason, you take it from there. And that's all I ask. And I think that's all what most fans are asking, but we even getting gaslit by, you know, some in their local media, like, you know, we don't have a right to be upset. Yeah. When an organization don't know where they're going and don't really have a clue as to what they want to do and just stuck in this purgatory or, or whatever, you know, you, you, you kind of question what's going on and has the team tuned them out? Should they tune out the front office? Should they tune out Coach Kerr? And just to correct myself slightly, I mean, they are in the 10th spot, which is the play-in game slot, although that's half a game. They're half a game behind Sacramento, who lost yesterday. Or no, no, did they win? No, they won. They had that um, last-minute shot. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're not too far. They can fall to under behind New Orleans and um, somebody else, too. Yeah, well, New Orleans is a little bit further behind. They're a full two games behind. Sacramento is a game behind. Um, and, I mean, it, I guess it's just sort of interesting. Um, I mean, I think we all know that I'm not necessarily as up with when it comes to the Warriors, but if, you know, Curry returns and is around for, uh, you know, the rest of the season and doesn't have another injury setback, then they could probably stay in the, you know, that eight through 10 sort of area and try to go through the playing games. Although that means they, they would have to win three straight games against the other opponents, which is always sort of dicey to have to play extra games in order to get into a playoff spot. Right. And they want to avoid that, but since they've been losing close games on one hand and getting blown out, against good teams, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be even tough when Steph returns because that's all the consistent offense they got. And do you think that the front office for um, the Warriors front office is sort of baking that clay will return besides the oh, Minnesota yes. pick? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Like, like clay is just going to magically fix everything. And that's not fair to him at all. And what's really crazy is that, you know, he, he may not start at the beginning of next year. And remember, they they probably pissed off Ubre. So they will have to get another shooting guard, try to scrape up a shooting guard um, next during the offseason. So, yeah, they're, they're at the banking on Clay. And as great as Clay is and, you know, KD and everyone else has, you know, really came back from the injuries and all. I mean, it, it's, it's possible, but, you know, I wouldn't just really just bank on it. Like, yes, we're getting the same play. No, no, you're not. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure on one person coming back from two major, major, major injuries. Well, let's turn to the Houston Rockets. Britt, 
You want to tell us about what's been going on between the all-star break and trade deadline? Yeah. So, I mean, I think everyone's aware that they lost 20 games. I'm trying to look right now to recall if it started before, um, right before the, um, the, our all-star, our all-star break occurred or if it started slightly after. I think it started slightly after because Christian Wood was out through all-star break and then he got hurt again. And then that sort of started the spiral. So yeah. So ever since the all-star break, once they returned, they had a a good number of, I I would say decent games. And then they went on the 20 game losing streak. Um, The more positive news is that recently they broke that streak and have been to, um, two and one, although that one game was the Detroit, um, home series that they had. And the first game they had a 20 point lead and they lost it and lost the game. So that was sort of, um, depressing to say the least. But, you know, yesterday as time recording, they won versus Detroit in the second game of that series. And that felt pretty good. They blew out Detroit and kept the lead. Um, I feel like overall when it comes to the Rockets, and I feel like I say this every time, but it's just been a lot of drama. And for the first time in a little bit, um, it it's felt good to not have so much drama. Although like there's been one sad thing, which is like um, Daniel house has um, uh, four members of his family passed away because of a, uh, a drunk driver hitting um, their car. So that has been really sad and he's not going to, he's probably not going to be a part of, you know, part of the team for a while as he, you know, um, Grieves, but oh, that's terrible. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, my god! They announced sad. it yesterday. It's so sad. Um, but I, I mean, I guess it just—it's just a reminder that you don't know how players are, you know, being, you know, what's happening outside of um, the court most of the time. Um, I mean, in this case, we know because it, you know it's a major thing and a you know a car accident and drunk drunk driving, but. Um, it, it's just a reminder just to be kind to the players um, and not just, you know, bash them all the time because of things that they do on the court. You don't know what's happening. Um, but outside of that, this is, you know, one of the first times that we haven't had like many injuries or at least, I mean, we still have folks going in and out of the lineup for um, injury management slash rest days. And I think that's just going to remain the rest of the season. Um, I've sort of put myself at a point where I I think that they have a good enough roster to win more games than 20 games or than losing 20 games in a row, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to um, playoff, you know, contention or anything like that. So I'm just looking forward to a lot of the youth um, in the team, you know, showing, you know, how well they play and, you know, trying to, um, you know, secure their spot for next season and beyond. What a bummer about house. Yeah. Um, the, did their activities at the trade le- deadline give you any glimpse into the direction you think the team is going to go in the future? Well, I guess just to back up for a second, a lot of people really don't like what happened during the trade deadline. Um, the Rockets ha- 
really just had one major trade, which I think everyone has heard at this point, which is the Victor Oladipo trade for Kelly O'Lillick and, um, who else? I'm completely blanking out on the other person who, oh, Avery Bradley. I don't know why I blanked out on his name, but, um, Bradley's only played 10 games or I think 11 games. I think he actually played yesterday. Um, and Kelly O'Lillick before yesterday was shooting 38% from three, and he's supposed to be a three-point specialist. Um, but I feel as though, you know, they they were able to pick up Bradley and Olulik and also get a pick swap, and a lot of people are very much disappointed about that. I, I, I feel as though the Rockets... <sighs> It's going to be really hard to see what's happening or, you know, where this is going. I definitely think they're going towards a youth movement, but they want to still have that, you know, some veteran presence. Um, I think one of the bad things about, you know, tanking or rebuilding um, that could potentially get you into like a cycle of tanking uh-huh. is that, you know, they'll bring in all youth players and there's not like that veteran presence who knows, like, you know, has, you know, sort of a notion of how, what accountability is in the league and how to potentially win. Um, and I feel like, especially when it comes to like Sacramento, um, you know, the Suns until, you know, the last couple of seasons and a few other, you know, teams, the Kings that they'll just bring in, you know, a ton of young players and there isn't a role model on the team to tell them like, Hey, what's right and what's wrong. And they just, they, um, just bring in, you know, they just acquire all these losing, um, I guess like characteristics on themselves and on the team. And then it just, you know, causes a cycle where for years they're just bad. Um, I saw, I, I like how, uh, Raf- uh, Rafael Stone, who's the GM of the Rockets is sort of building it where there is youth. Um, there's Kevin Porter Jr. who last night shot, um, or scored 25 points and had, t- and was 10 of 15 from the field, which is mind blowing. And he was, um, 66% from three. Um, and he didn't take, he took, uh, what was it? He took six, um, yeah, he took six, um, three point shots and made like a number of them. So it was really, I guess I feel as though a lot of it will depend on how the rest of the season ends up and if they somehow get a top four seed, but if they win too much, they're going to lose out on that. And if they lose too much, that could cause a bad culture thing. So the Rockets and, you know, the coaching staff and the front office is going to have to be very careful as they sort of, you know, figure out what they want to do in the future. Um, but I guess to answer your question, I don't know if I can really say like, Hey, this is like the exact direction they're wanting to go. Were you surprised that John Wall is still there? No, because, I mean, where was he going to be traded to? His contract is, you know, the similar contract as Westbrook, which is the Supermax. And there's only so many players outside of, like, you know, trading a ton of role players from a single team or a multi-team trade that would require for him to get out. And that would allow him to be traded to another team. So, no, um, I didn't think that he was going to get traded, and I don't think he's going to get bought out. I think the Rockets – I mean, he 
is owed like $40 million next season. He's not going to take, you know, essentially 10 to $20 million from that deal just to get bought out. That's, I think that's a little bit, um, wishful thinking. <laughs> Folks think that. Um, so no, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that he's still here or a part of the Rockets. I have a question. How do you think that Stephen Silas has been navigating this season so far? I mean, it's just really been rocky and it's been wearing on him. How do you think he's been handling it? I think he's been handling it the best that he can. So the loss, the first, um, the, Detroit games were back to back and that first game when they, you know, blew that 20 point lead and lost the game, you can tell that he was sort of like at his wits end, like he was really down. Um, and that's probably the, the, um, saddest that I've seen him, you know, um, the entire season. I think overall, when it comes to his demeanor and his ability to like communicate during the, like he's never been like someone to get like super mad at any of the questions that are coming up. And um it, it was sad to see him be that like disappointed in the team. So I was happy. Um Well, it actually happened two times. So the game before they won, so the 20th loss, he was like really down. Um, and that was probably the worst that I saw him. Like the come from behind loss, I, I think that was just more like growing pains. And plus, I, I think I need to go back to, I, I think people need to um, blow off the assumption from their head that a 20-point lead is something that is irresurmountable or insurmountable. Um, even though, like, I think that, by that point, it was like starting in the fourth quarter with like seven minutes left. They were still up by around 20 and then they still, they lost at the end of the day. Um, cause they didn't score since like 725 in the fourth quarter in that Detroit game. But even so, it's like 20 points is not surmountable if people start making threes, which is what Cat, um, Carl Anthony Towns did. Like he started making threes. They started to get, um, into the basket and get, you know, foul calls called, um, or Detroit get foul calls called for them. And that allows for folks to get back into the game relatively quickly. So I think to answer your question, Janelle, a lot of the, I think that um, we talked about two weeks ago that, you know, folks were saying, Oh, Silas should get fired. Like, I don't think he should be fired. Um, and I think it was silly that folks were saying that anyway. Um, but now that they have at least won a couple of games, I feel like a lot of that tension has um, sort of lifted. And I'm happy because overall, like, I think he has done as much as he can considering all of the things that have happened this season. I don't think it's fair for people to really put out that notion that he should be fired because of the circumstances. And, you know, this is his opportunity as a coach. I mean, you know, I don't think that's fair at all. Yeah. No, I don't think it's fair either. And I think a lot of it is that folks a lot of times want to have scapegoats instead of just seeing like, hey, here are the circumstances. It'd be one thing if the team had a ton of expectations um and they were losing 20 games in a row. That Of course, that would, you know, sort of cause a coach, maybe not a first year coach, which is what Silas is, but any other coach who has some experience to get fired or, you know, a head coach that is. But when you're in your first year, you didn't realize until 
I mean, maybe he knew, maybe he didn't know, but maybe he didn't know the extent of how much um, James Harden wanted to leave until he was actually hired. And then they told him, I, I don't know what the circumstances of that is, but um, him assuming that he would be able to have the opportunity to play, you know, to coach for Harden and potentially Westbrook, depending on how far that issue was before Westbrook was traded to go to essentially, you know, coaching G League players and um, vets who either don't want to be on the team, like P.J. Tucker um, and Oladipo, um, to guys who, you know, do appear that they want to be on the team but just have injury issues like John Wall. I think that for, you know, regardless of how many games that they've lost, he has shown that he is willing to, he has good communication skills. Like folks still like him, like Christian Wood and Kevin Porter Jr. Both like vouched for him multiple times um, during post game um, press conferences. So I think that he has done all that he can do considering. And if someone doesn't agree with that, they probably either aren't watching the Rockets or just want someone to, um, they just want someone that can be blamed. Well, is there anything else that you uh, want to point out about what's been going on with Houston or shall I give a roundup of what's been going on with the Blazers? Well, hearing what's up with the Blazers would be good. Yeah. Okay. So the kind of the main thing that has happened recently with the Blazers, we'll get to the trade in a minute, um, is that just very recently CJ and Nurkic came back. So CJ's played three or four games. Nurkic has played one. He's going to play a second game back uh, tonight. And the, you know, the, the Blazers like held it down. You know, they still have a winning record. Um, but it's one of the things like when we watch them play, it's like, it feels like they should be better. Like when I watch them play, it feels like they should be better. It feels like they should not be in close in all these close games. It feels like they should be able to beat a good team. And it's been a while since they've been able to beat a good team. I mean, the two games against uh, the, uh, the 76ers before the uh, all-star break, like those were cool. Um, you know, those are a, a fully manned 76ers. So that was cool. But since then, they just, they haven't had that difficult of a schedule. They haven't really beat very many good teams and the schedule is just going to start to get brutal. So happy that they've been able to maintain a good enough record that they are still, um, above the play-in game. That's like the goal is to like not have to be in the play-in game. So been able, they've been able to maintain that. But when I watch them, I'm just like, I feel like they should be a little, I, their defense is so bad. <laughs> like it's so bad. And they just got Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. who are supposed to be like defenders. And the crazy thing that it's like you can watch them play and they have moments where they like put it all together. They have moments where it's like, Oh, I see it, but they don't do it all the time. They spend so much effort and energy on really nice, pretty offense that the, the defense has really suffered. So the fact that they made a really interesting trade at the trade deadline, I'm hoping that that is going to be like, even though Gary Trent Jr. for Norman Powell, player wise, there's, they have a lot of similarities. They, uh, you know, they're, I, I just think that maybe that was like maybe the one thing that they need to, to do to like give them that little spark to make them be more than just 
adequate, but like better than that. And, um, with, with the thing about Trent Jr., Trent Jr. was wildly popular, wildly popular with Blazer fans. We loved him. I loved him since the day that he came to Portland. And it was just something about his attitude, something about his energy. It was just like super fun. Like, it was based on me not having watched a single Duke game. I had no idea. I just, when he walked into Portland, I was like, this dude is fun. So, um, having him leave to go to Toronto, was tough, but also not unexpected because he's going to be a restricted free agent. He recently signed with Clutch, and I'm absolutely convinced that he was going to command a really big salary, maybe more so. Not, I'm not going to certainly wouldn't say that it's any more than he deserves because you absolutely deserve whatever you get, but maybe not an affordable salary given what the Blazers' current situation is. So I was concerned that some other team was going to go sign him to a really big fat offer sheet, which he deserves because he's a good dude. Um, and then the Blazers would have to decide about matching it, and w- they probably would because they were all in on him. So Norm Powell is, you know, a little bit older, a little, a few more years of experience, championship experience, which is exciting. Um, cause we don't, I don't think we have anybody on the team right now who's won a championship. Uh, so championship experience, you know, like size wise, play style wise, there's not a huge difference because they both are like buckets. Both those guys are buckets. Norm is just more consistent and especially over the last couple of years has really grown in that consistency. So, I remain ever cautiously optimistic, which is kind of like just my like default cautious. It's always, I always have hope that it can get better. Norm fits in offensively, you know, cause like you said, he's a bucket and he's, he's consistent, but how do you think he'll fit in defensively since Portland has defensive uh, issues? I mean, I don't know. At this point, I just sort of have decided as long as you have one more point than the other team at the end of the game, that's really all that matters. <laughs> I mean, I don't – there's conflicting reports both about Gary Trent Jr. and Norm Powell on defense. You know, like uh, people in Toronto are saying, oh, we got a great defender. And Portland, people in Portland are saying, oh, we got a great defender. But like, you know, Gary had some really amazing – individual defensive performances in the bubble, but this season it hadn't really carried over yet. And so I don't know like what Norm Powell does defensively that, you know, that fits in because I don't know. It's, I'm just so puzzled about what the defense is because like a guy like Robert Covington is so disruptive. He's really good at, you know, getting the ball, causing turnovers and just like forcing the other team to take a worse shot than they want to. And now that we have Nurkic back to guard the rim, I think hopefully that people will be less um, delighted to just like run up there and dunk on whoever on Ennis Cantor, bless his heart. Uh, but like, I just don't, I haven't seen a guard play defense, so I don't really know, except for like individual, you know, one-on-one defense. So I don't really know what Norm Powell brings. Do you have any ideas? I would love to hear them. If you have thoughts. I was just curious. Yeah, I don't see him necessarily bringing as much of the defensive prowess that's needed, but I, I guess my question is, do you feel like at this point it's a personnel issue or do you think it's the coaching staff mostly focusing on offense and not caring so much about the defensive end? 
um, because this has been a year in year out issue uh, with the Blazers. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's usually kind of a cyclical thing where it takes a couple of years because it's a very scheme oriented defense. It's about and it, I think it's more complex possibly that it, it you know it came from Vanterpool a few years ago or several years ago and you know it was a it was a complex um scheme that had to do with limiting three-point shots and um it just it took a while for the personnel to figure it out and now we've had like a switchover and i just think i think there's a lot of focus on offense because like when you have Damian Lillard you focus on offense. I think there was an expectation that Yusuf Nurkic was going to hold down the, uh, the paint and he, you know, being out for a couple of months, that's not been happening. I don't know. There is definitely a segment of the fan base who believes it's the, uh, it's a coaching issue, but it's just, you can see it like every once in a while you can see it. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, my hope, <laughs> my uh, rose-colored glasses are that if they can just get through the regular season and get themselves well prepared for the regular season, they can do it better during the playoffs, you know, with multiple games against each other. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, before we go off of the – um, Norman Powell, Gary Trent Jr. trade. Did you see that um, random factoid about Gary Trent Jr. in the his trade? Dad? About, yeah, about him and his dad that they both, uh, I guess for folks who didn't see it, they Gary Trent Jr. and Sr. started their careers in Portland and were traded to Toronto 41 games into their third seasons. Um, and, um, and the person who originally said it was at Big John Pod, but a ton of other people took it and didn't credit him, which I don't think is cool. Um, but I thought that like little statistic was really <laughs> interesting. Um, although I, I guess Gary Trent Sr. only played for 13 games for the Raptors before he went elsewhere. So, yeah, that's a fun little uh, a fun little. It's just one of those things. It's like Gary comes with so much fun stuff around him <laughs> that that's like perfectly like not surprising at all that that would be a little factoid about Gary. Um But I'm going to say one more thing about what the Blazers have been doing because it's going to sort of segue into the next topic. And that is the other thing about the Blazers right now is Damian Lillard's clutch performance. And uh so Damian Lillard has, I don't have him listed up in front of me, but it has been a topic of just how good he is in the clutch. His shooting percentages are out of this world in clutch situations. That's five, five minutes to go within five points. And I always narrow it down to uh, two minutes to go within two points. And they're even better in that situation. He doesn't miss. He hasn't missed a free throw in the clutch all season. He just is outstanding. And I think that's great because it puts him in the actual MVP conversation. I just wish the Blazers didn't have to be in that situation so often. He's got these great clutch numbers, but also he has massive clutch numbers because the Blazers take it down to the wire so often. And I just would like one game, two games, three games where they win by 10 and it's not even close within five minutes. But that having been said... Damian Lillard's performance in the clutch has got him recognized by national media even who have placed him in the MVP conversation along with injuries to some of the other major players. Um, 
and I'm not saying that and I'm not calling right now that Damian Lord is going to be the MVP, but I am saying it is fun to have him legitimately in the conversation and not just among Blazer fans. But what I want to know from you two is like, what is it like to have a player on your team win an MVP? Cause that's never happened for me. Like I was eight years old when, you know, uh, Bill Walton was doing big things and I don't even think he got the regular season MVP. He got like the finals MVP. So yeah. What's that like, Janelle? And now I ask you too, Britt. It is exciting to see a player from your team, you know, have a productive and an MVP calendar season just, just to see what's next. You know, what, what kind of feats are up next? How far can he take it? That's what, that's what's really been exciting, you know, watching Steph and just to see this kind of progression and, the national attention is what it is. And I, I kind of feel bad that in Dame's instance, you know, yes, he's getting the attention and it's rightfully deserved, but a lot of it is trying to get him to leave Portland. It's like, you know, he's doing all these big things, but why he got to be in Portland though? And he wants to be, and they just wouldn't leave it alone. It's the, it was the same with Giannis as well. You know, it's, it's fun to see it and it, it gives fan, the fan base a, a jolt of energy, sense of pride. You know, it's great, but sometimes the national media can be too much. Was, did people pressure Steph to leave after he got his? No, people are pressuring Steph to leave now. <laughs> but they no, also won a championship and were in the finals the two right. years that he won his, you know, back to back MVPs. So, so right. now he's so done really with expectation. All right. of that winning. Right. It's, it's, it's different. It was different for Steph. You know, uh, but sometimes the national, the national media can get too much because, you know, if, if your guy hits a dry spell or slump, which every player goes through, you know, it's, is magnified in, in some ways. Yeah, I think that's one bad thing about it. Yeah, um, I think for myself and when Hard or yeah, when Harden won his MVP, and I guess I don't know how much of this is bias or just like it, it's factual, but I, I felt like that Harden had a little bit of a different situation. Like since the Rockets were, you know, getting, you know, essentially, you know, eliminated from the playoffs from uh teams that would eventually go on to like win the championship or w- at least win the conference. Um, He got that, the choker label. So people would lessen the contributions that he had during the regular season. So every time he would be either in the MVP conversation or the top two or eventually winning that one, it felt as though it wasn't enough. Um, one person, um, I won't necessarily say his name, but like one person mentioned on his radio or mentions on his radio show quite often that he starts to add whatever someone has done in their play in the playoffs as a um a point for the next regular season like if they've done well in the playoffs then the they get more emphasis for the you know MVP or if they did bad in the playoffs then it's something that um, goes against them and i don't think that's fair and i don't think that 
goes towards like, I think that sort of goes towards like the topic that we're going to probably talk about next, which is like ring culture sort of things is that like the MVP is a regular season award. It talks about the 82 games or in this case, the 72 games that happened between the season that the NBA defined why people equate winning or losing the MVP, which is an individual achievement to a team achievement and winning the finals or winning the conference. It it goes beyond me. And I think it sort of cheapens and lessens the achievements that people have in season. Um, So that's why it's been sort of frustrating for me. Um, And it actually has been a a little bit of a relief to not have Harden. Um, Well, um, it's been a relief not to have that sort of pressure on your team because it feels as though like he's working as hard as he can all the time. But if he isn't able to achieve what he needs to, that's not necessarily like, of course, ultimately he should get a lot of the blame since he's the superstar per se. But at the same time, it's a, you know, the team has to be cohesive and they have to be, you know, quite frankly lucky in order to win a championship where one team out of, you know, 30 teams can win it. So I I don't know, like it's nice, but the pressure that sort of mounts, especially if they are in the MVP conversation for multiple years, um, it, it can be um, hard to sort of, I, I, it can be difficult um, as part of a fan base. Yeah. You brought up the, the ring culture and the, the chasing rings. And it's just it's something that's always swirling in my head as somebody whose team hasn't won a championship in a really long time, hasn't had an MVP, but has a team that I still enjoy watching. And like every regular season game to me is important, but is that just because I haven't had a championship run? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, so I guess Janelle, one question I would have for you is, you know, during those Golden State 72 win season runs, like, obviously, in order to get that record, every, uh, you know, every regular season game counted. But, you know, I guess what, so what are your, you know, thoughts on, you know, ultimately whether or not it was worth it <laughs> in that situation and just kind of your thoughts on in, in general about, uh, you know, chasing regular season wins versus chasing rings. In hindsight, you know, given what happened during the playoffs, I don't think it was worth it, you know, because when you think about it, sure, the regular season counts in terms of, you know, qualifying for the postseason and getting – any, I mean, as far as seeding goes, any uh, opportunity to have a home, a home, uh, court advantage in a given series. That's where it's important. But as far as overly emphasizing what happens, no. That, in that instance, you burn yourself out trying to chase regular season wins and expose you to injury sooner rather than later. And, you know, the playoffs are wars of attrition. And with that said, you know, they, they do count, but as far as the extra emphasis on them, no, they, they, they shouldn't, they shouldn't count. Yeah. Um, that's just how I see it. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily agree with you, Janelle, but maybe 
it's it's just more like a semantic thing. So let me explain. I, I think that it matters to it, it would matter more if both of them were seen as equal. So right now, um, especially when it comes to you know rings, a lot of players are seen as failures if they haven't won a ring. Um, I think that sort of causes. Um, I mean, we're talking about like regular season. Yeah, achievements. we're talking about regular season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. But I, I'm, I'm getting um, back to why I'm mentioning like the ring culture bit um, when it comes to regular se- season success. Is that like when it comes to the regular season? Yes, the um, or the postseason is a battle of attrition, but so is the regular season to a certain extent. Especially for especially if you don't have the. Um, I guess the talent, the talent compared to other teams. Like you can be like the Nets for instance this season who are especially emphasized, you know, coincidentally enough because of a former, um, Golden State Warriors player, um, that we all know and love, um, I, I suppose, um, being on there. Don't forget the having- newest player that <laughs> laser. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Aldridge who has arrived as a new member of the, um, Trail, or uh, well, former trailblazer who is now a net. But um, I, I think when it comes to if a team is winning, like is is being successful, if they win the conference or they win a championship, then no, it doesn't. It seems as though the regular season shouldn't be emphasized as much because then they're just trying to continue the success that they're having in the postseason. But what about the other, you know? Um, 28 teams, if you're including the two teams that won the conference, that throughout the season, you know, they went through that attrition throughout the regular season. Um, and they, you know, had their battles and had their, you know, ups and downs and low points and high points. Um, I, I think that's where I, I would say that, you know, if you're a championship contender, perhaps the regular season isn't as valuable, but we should for all the other teams that, that, that don't get to that point where they're winning a championship or, you know, winning a, you know, a conference championship that we need to be, we need to say that those successes, like having someone win an MVP, even if they didn't win a championship, or having someone win defensive player of the year if their team doesn't even get to the second round of the playoffs, those, I think, need to be emphasized more. So, uh, of course, it depends more on what, you know, I, I guess sort of what area of the, you know, spectrum you are, um, or what point in the spectrum you are, but at the same time, the regular season has, you know, should have as much importance as the postseason. Um, That's what I should have clarified. I was speaking in terms of, you know, the contenders, mm-hmm. you know, th- that's, that's what I should have clarified. But in other words, in other terms, I agree with you, uh, Britt, you know, it, it, it does count for the rest of those teams. And for not only what you mentioned, but also to build on the next season. You know, each season takes on a, a form of its own, and there's a process that many of us as fans and even as the media forget about. Uh, you know, as far as development and, and progression, we tend to forget about that. So in those terms, the regular season do count. It, it does. For sure. And I think that's what really hurts the NBA right now. 
Um, I mean, I know you, that you were mentioning for like contenders, but just in general, when it, it shouldn't, it's not necessarily, I mean, I don't want to necessarily say fair because I, I don't know how you can necessarily have fairness in a league where one team is supposed to win a championship and everyone else is, you know, various degrees away from that. But I, I think that the way that a lot of folks in the media as well as fans take slights at players, you know, if they haven't won a championship and then wish for them to go to these destination markets or major markets to have that, you know, success, which, you know, directly causes super teams. Because if you're saying like, hey, this person should go to the, you know, the Nets or this person should go to the Knicks or this person should go to the Heat, then, you know, there's only so many teams that are those quote unquote destination markets or major markets. You like there's only so many people I mean there's only so many times you can say that before that forms a super team uh-huh. and we're seeing that right now when it comes to the you know the Brooklyn Nets I think sometimes too the fan and the media narrative out about it it paints the the players all with the same brush like they all want exactly the same thing out of their NBA career and some you know even though it's doesn't seem to be as frequent anymore. There are players who want to be on the same team and want to, you know, play their career on one team so that they can do everything they can to win it for that team. And the, you know, oh, he should go, you know, Damian Lillard should go here so he can win a ring. They should trade Damian, you know, so that he can get a ring or whatever. And it's, it's like that he has expressed that is not how he wants to do it. But it's become so common now and so easy for guys. Like I can't believe how frequent and and like regular a buyout is now. It's just like you, basically like if you're a guy who's well established and you've had some respect, you can uh, just get your contract. And you're on a bad team, you can just get your contract bought out and choose where you want to go to go win your ring. And it's like, you know, I guess for some players. That's what they want to do and that's fine, but that's not what everybody necessarily wants to do. And it just goes back to me, like what I was saying is like, yes, the championship is what everybody plays for every single year. The people who win the championship are the winners for that year. But I just refuse to believe that is the only reason everybody plays basketball. (laughs) But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive. No, I don't think you're wrong at all. I mean, people play basketball for various reasons and – there, there's some that's in it for the lifestyle and some that's in it that's more passionate about it. So it, it is various reasons for, but for those who is passionate about it and, you know, haven't had, haven't been in a situation to where they could um, build with their original team and figured, well, I got all the money I could get, but I just don't have a ring. You know, let, let me get that. And I, I, you know, you can't really fault a player for that. But the pervasiveness is is really what's driving, you know, them to the Lakers or to the Nets. It's, it's like going through a drive through and getting a ring, <laughs> you know. Um, but a lot of people, but for a lot of people, it is various reasons. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing, too, is just folks are so determined to say that a ring is what separates, like, the very, very best players with our 
let me correct myself. So yes, a ring ultimately probably separates the very, very top end players from, you know, the ones that are like on the brink of being those like legend, like top 10 players. Um, but it, they also do that for players that are very much better than a lot of players, but they are, you know, I would say like the Carl Malones, although I'm not necessarily someone who wants to protect Carl Malone to say the least for multiple points, but you know, the Malones out there, the, Brock- um, yeah, the Brock, Broccoli's out there, Broccoli's, oh <laughs> Barkley's out there. <laughs> Charles Broccoli. <laughs> Probably is like, oh, I don't even want to say that. I don't even think Charles has eaten a, a piece of broccoli in his life. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was trying not to say that. That's so, but yes, but, um, Barkley, um, th- those sort of folks who were, you know, almost for the entirety of their career were, the lead stars of their team, Dominique, um, you know, there's so many players that were the lead players of their team, but weren't able to win a ring and they're seen as lesser. Um, and I guess real quick, we wanted to talk about like the, like there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of um, discourse about folks saying like, Hey, this started when Shaq, you know, started to make fun of Barkley so regularly because of the lack of rings, do you feel like that's really when it started? Or do you think it happened earlier than that? It might have happened a little bit earlier than that, you know, because the ring has always been the main thing. But I think Barclays, I mean, Shaq's, you know, constant teasing of Barclay just amplified it. Yeah, and that's why I blame both of the media and fans but the media has to be, and I guess, you know, the NBA too, to a certain aspect, the media and the NBA needs to, especially since I, I keep on going back and forth, but especially since the NBA is a partner of TNT specifically, cause I don't really see that from ESPN. Um, but I definitely do see it from TNT frequently them bashing folks who haven't won a ring yet. Like I, I feel like the NBA, since they do a whole lot of other things to prevent media partners from doing stuff, like sometimes maybe they should tell them to cool it off on that, um, on bashing players who haven't won a ring. Like I, I don't think that helps the prestige of the NBA whatsoever. If you're bashing folks who, you know, just by circumstance didn't win a ring. Well, there's kind of the, the opposite, scenario where guys who aren't superstars not that I'm not saying that they don't deserve to have a ring because obviously if you're on a championship team you get a ring but there are guys who have played on multiple championships teams who are not the superstars who might not be as good as people who are considered superstars but don't have rings but JaVale has how many now, you know, and how many, <laughs> maybe Dwight Howard's going to get another one. Marcus Saul is going to have multiple, you know, it's, it's like, was it Robert Ory? How many? He has as many as Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan. Michael Jackson. Well, he has more. He has nine. More. Right. Right. Because I think Oscar has the most, but he was also a star of his, or not Oscar, um, my brain is Bill? Yeah, Bill. Bill Russell, yeah. I know. Yeah, Bill Russell has the most. <laughs> yeah, Bill and Russell has the most by far, but um Ori has, you know, two rings from the Rockets, multiple ones from the Spurs, multiple ones from the Lakers. 
I guess this, my point is it's not the only thing to, to measure your greatness. Like you can be great and not have one and you can also have one and not be the greatest. Yeah. Hey, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you see like a role, I don't want to necessarily call out role players or, you know, star players, but when you see those like random Twitter threads from, I won't necessarily say tro- trolls, but you know, folks who say like, oh, this role player is better than, uh, this star who hasn't won a ring. That's when it just becomes ridiculous to me, or at least personally. I agree. I mean, I guess. Those are going to troll anyway. And they, they know better. And that's what's really bad about it. I know when you were saying, did it start with, you know, uh, Shaq making fun of Barkley? You know, that could be where it started, but it feels like it's just been elevated so much with everybody's just easy access to each other, easy access to players, the ability to just like tweet directly at players and say things to them and get in there. I have to, (laughs) on a side note, I have to say like as more time goes by, the more I like Kevin Durant (laughs) and his responses and the way that he deals with people. I just, uh, I I appreciate him. He he brought up an in, interesting tweet, and I know I'm probably going off the rails, but I promise I'll I'll, I'll get it back. He said, oh, "I'm gonna put this up." Uh, I, I got it. He said, uh, "NBA fans don't like anything about the NBA, and it's weird." <laughs> that I mean, feels- th- th- think about it. Um, they like. The highlights, they, like, they like the rings, they like all the shallow stuff, but don't really like or understand the process to go into that. You know, and, and I believe that is, it's the same with, with the, with the ring culture. I mean, you know, every, everybody just sees the result and not the process of getting there. And, you know, it's, it really messes up the discourse of the league. Yeah. Well, isn't that a failure of the media um, yes. and like the analysts who are the major faces of the league um, and the NBA itself to a certain aspect that they're not informing or educating folks as to. It is um, exactly yes. it. it is exactly it because they're in it. The media is in it for engagement and clicks and ratings. And that's how they get their money. And they feel like they have to entertain more than they educate. That's exactly what it is. And um, for whatever reason, they think that being fans in men's warehouse clothing is, is it. <laughs> and it's not. It's just me- messing up the ecosystem of NBA dialogue. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate because I feel like I mean, if you look at the, you know, NFL, for instance, the NFL has a lot of issues to say the very least. But one of the things that they don't do is that they don't trash players who haven't won a ring. Like they'll, you know, they'll criticize if they have done something on the field that maybe con- contributed to them not being successful, but they don't trash them for not winning. They talk about what they didn't do right. I, and I feel like the NBA does the exact opposite. Like they don't, they don't 
talk about like what people are doing that may be changed. They just trash like why, you know, they trash that they haven't won a ring or, you know, aren't, you know, winning and they don't look at the, like they don't give people the holistic view of what's going on that may contribute to a team or an individual not winning because ultimately the team sport, like one player, um, even LeBron, like the one, you know, the year that he, you know, took his, what what was it the second or third year um when he took that really awful um uh Cavs team to the finals and got stomped oh yeah yeah so you know even him like he you know when he had a really bad team he was able to get them to you know the finals but he wasn't able to win and it's ultimately a team sport that allows folks to win and all that contributes to whether or not a uh, player is going to be successful or not, not just like this single contribution to what's going on in a single season. And I, I feel like the media and, you know, just the NBA in general isn't that good at communicating that. Yeah. Next time we have to figure out how we're going to, what, how we're going to solve that? Do you think it's, I mean, do you think it's solvable? Maybe it's not even solvable. I mean, I'm being naive again. Um, I think it's solvable. I think it's solvable, but they don't want it to be solvable. And, and that's weird because, you know, they, like I said, they're, they're in it for the engagement, they're in it for their, for their money. They see, you know, people like Skip Sayless. <laughs> now I'm not calling him bangers. I'm calling him Skip Sayless. <laughs> Getting millions and millions of dollars just to be a glorified troll. I mean, it kind of wear on you. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's, it's trickles down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I think, um, I mean, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I think the one thing that is going to make it hard or at least more difficult is that the same media partners that give the news are the same ones that host the games and have a partnership with the NBA where they are having to be, you know, NBA is ultimately entertainment. But if the two largest providers of the games are the ones who are also giving news about the games, it, um, I guess it, it waters down how folks look at the sport itself. Like the NBA or the NFL for, I, I think the NFL, the other thing that they've done well is that they've actually expanded the partners that have, um, that show games. So now, like, you know, Amazon Prime is showing games and, um, you know, the, the traditional, um, channels like CBS and, you know, ESPN, I guess is now tr- more traditional. Um, and Fox are showing games. It's not just like these two ma- media partners in league pass. Um, like the NBA has. So uh, I, I think it's multiple things. Um, and hopefully we can, maybe we can talk about it some more next time. Yeah. No, I think you, what you brought up, um, really gives me something to think about though, because I hadn't really thought about, uh, you know, really there's only just a couple places you can either watch your on your local affiliate or TNT or NBA TV. You know, it's just like, it's, it's really limited. Um, but for me, what that also, you know, 
leads me to do is to look for more independent coverage. And that is one thing about the current, you know, era that we're living in is kind of the, uh, the popping up of some of these different independent fla- platforms like basketball news and other, uh, platforms which are telling the NBA story that are not affiliated with the other, the other big networks. So getting information from them and listening to the types of things that they're reporting, you know, could maybe like separate us out a little bit from just the intensity of like, MVP watch, you know, <laughs> that just becomes the heart of everybody's programming starting six weeks before the end of the season. Well, ladies, it is time to wrap us, wrap it up for today. Next time when we have Amber back, we'll have to ask her, uh, why OKC has to keep shutting down players because they can't lose games. <laughs> Which is funny because they probably could since they have the Rockets on pick, but, um, let me let you continue on. I just, I think it's, uh, I think it's so like, well, we gotta shut this, now we gotta shut this guy down, now we gotta shut this guy. I'm like, wish that was a problem that we were having. Uh, anyway, it has been great to talk to you all. Uh, let's go ahead and, uh, take us out of here by saying, uh, telling people where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, Janelle, you wanna start? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Janelle12, that is J-A-N-N-E-L-L-E 12. And, you can find my work at uh, Complex Sports, Carolina Blitz, Shadow League, and Basketball News, and wherever else. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Britt? You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram, although I'm barely on Instagram this, these days. But you can find me on both those places at Britt Robatista. Um. And I usually post on Twitter, so just find me on there. Right on. And you can find me on Twitter at TCBBIGGS. You can find the Step Back Sisterhood podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Step Back Sisters. We are part of Blue Wire Hustle, so you can also follow at Blue Wire Hustle. Thanks, everyone, for joining us this time, and we will talk to you later.